don't know if you pay enough attention over the years as a Christian um, that the way our uh, church services are usually attended. Um, you, the, the, the greatest attendance that you will see in the church is usually between September and December and then March and June. That's when you see your greatest attendance in the church. Um, those are times when people are customarily involved doing things. Those other dates, um, you might not see the attendance as high as those times. So we're getting ready to go into a high time in church attendance. And I make that clear, church attendance. Amen. We're getting ready to go into a high time um, of church attendance. And so we have to be prepared and ready, amen, for whatever God has in store for us. And um, we want to not be spectators during these times, but we want to be participators. And so we have to gear up and prepare for what the Lord have in store and be ready. Amen. A few things that I want to mention before we get into prayer tonight, because we do have a few things that we need to mention. And that is um, this Saturday, as usual, it's the first Saturday of the month. And this is um, this Saturday is the first Saturday and we will have our prayer breakfast. We will be here at 8 a.m. We will start our prayer breakfast, and we will pray, and we will have a time of fellowship afterwards. And so we would love for you to join us if you're available. Um, invite someone out. Remind them that this is our prayer breakfast Saturday. Also, I have scheduled a um, what we call a young adult creative meeting this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., uh, the age group for that meeting <laughs> is between 15 and 35 years old. And so if you fall in that category of 15 through 35, you can join us on our Zoom meeting for the Young Adult Creative Meeting this Wednesday. So if you fall within that category, please join us. Um, it's going to be about you and your peers. And so we want to hear from you, so please join us. Also, we're getting ready to start back up CSTI. That gets uh, kicked off September the 11th. And um, in my mind, September the 11th is the official kickoff of fall, in my mind. I don't know what the world has to say about that and what everyone else is doing, but I feel like this year, September the 11th, is the kickoff of fall, and that's where everything gets going um, and, and we get geared up for whatever the Lord has in store for us. So CSTI start that Sunday, September the 11th. If you're a part of it, please be ready. We do it via Zoom. Um, if we still uh, need people to sign up and join, it's an educational thing. You want to learn more about the Word of God. It it's, it's doesn't cost much. Sign up for CSTI. You'll learn a lot. Also, we start back up. Um, our Christ-Centered Life series starts back up, which is our adult Sunday school start back up. Um, and so we want to get that going. Children's Sunday school start back up. Um, I'll start back up my discipleship um, class um, on, what's that, the 12th, the 13th? The 13th I start back up. 
Um, and so we will um, get going. And we do have a family Zoom meeting on that very same day, the 13th of September. And that will go from 7 through 8 if we have to go that late, but no later than 8. And I start back up my discipleship class at 8 p.m. So there's a lot that's getting ready to start back up. And we need to be sure we are in the right frame of mind. Amen and ready. Hallelujah. Well, let's stand. Amen. We're going to go before the Lord in prayer. And as we go before the Lord in prayer tonight, I want you to keep a couple of things in mind. I was uh, talking to Brother Evanson. Um, we talk all the time. So recently, probably a couple of days ago, and he was speaking to someone within our organization. And we're talking about, you know, owning our own buildings and things like that. As we know, um, his church and our church are kind of in the same vein. We're doing our best to um, own our own um, church building, church facility. And uh, we feel like it probably looked like it will work out at the same time for um, both congregations. So we talk a lot and share a lot of different things. And he said he was talking to some folks within the organization the other day. And the, the, the discussion led to them talking about um, the chances of a church being sustained for generations and generations as opposed to the church just being around for a season. And whenever a church um, is established and that church is renting property, um, the chances are um, that church would just probably be around for a season. The chance of that church being around for generations and generations, very slim if you continue to rent property. When you own property as a church, the chances of that church being around for generations upon generations goes way up in the 90s percentile. So I want to say that to say this. Whether you understood it or you didn't, whether you know it or you didn't, when we decide that we wanted to own our own church property, we engaged in spiritual warfare. Because what you're doing is you're telling the devil, I'm taking territory from you that you've been occupying. The devil is territorial. And so he has different territories, how he rules the different territories in whatever way that he does that, right? And so when we decided that we want to take territory to say this belongs to the church. Now, understand this, all of it belongs to God to begin with. But because we lack our focus and our interests and what we're supposed to do, the devil started occupying territory that in, in, in actuality belongs to God and his people. But we was kind of, you know, twiddling our thumbs. And so he just kept occupying and occupying and so when we become serious and say, we or anyone else become serious and say, hey, we want to take this property, the devil said, oh, no, you won't. Because he knows the percentage, the chances of when you take that territory that he has lost it forever. And he knows that generations upon generations will go through that church and be saved. So he is fighting tooth and nail. Now, you didn't realize it, and you probably didn't even think about it. And we have talked about the weapons of our warfare not being carnal. So some of the things that you've been hearing, you might think, ah, you know, that's good teaching here, Pastor, not bad. But we have no clue that it's a now word that God has given us because God knows where he's taken us. 
And so he's given us right now words. He's given us right now instructions so we understand how we need to move about so we can establish the will of God and do the will of God in where God has placed us. So we've been in spiritual warfare for a little bit, whether we were, you know, understanding that or not. And it will not stop. And that's why there's a lot of different things that has transpired. Um, I was thinking just uh, not too long before I came up, I said, you know, I know some people and I can't do anything about it. I, I wish it wouldn't transpire. But for the past few months, as we've been, you know, heading towards where we're going, you hear me talk a lot and, you know, the ministers and those that are a part of the service talk a lot about, you know, we need money. And, you know, I, I wish we didn't have to do that, um, but we cannot not do that. OK, we, we have to say it because we don't know where the money is coming from, when the money is coming, how it's coming. So we have to continue to declare what we need and trust the Lord to provide, move on somebody's heart to provide. So I have to say it. You have to say it. And sometimes I know it could be a turnoff to some people, but I want you to think about it from this perspective, uh, from this day on, that what we are when we say that we are actually coming at the devil. That's that's part of uh, our voice speaking that that that's that's coming at the devil. When we say we're going to have our property, we're going to take control. We're going to have this building every time we say it. The devil try to move on somebody's heart to be discouraged, to don't want to hear it, to come against it, because he does not want to see this happen. So he's fighting tooth and nail. So understand that I know along the way there are some people that we haven't seen in a while that, you know, the devil moved on them. Say, you don't need to go to that church. They just want your money. Like all these churches, all they tell you about is money. And we know that's not true, but the devil will work in whoever's life he can work in. Nothing we can do about it. We don't like to admit to that. We don't like to understand that that's just how it go, that the devil can work in any one of our hearts, any one of our minds, if we let him. And so for those of us who have let him, um, you know, we slow down in attendance. You know, a lot of different things have transpired because the devil has his dupes up trying to fight tooth and nail to stop this from happening and i and i feel strongly that the lord is even working deceptively around him i i believe that what the lord is doing for us is very deceptive to the devil he doesn't know where the lord is coming from with this particular situation and the lord is not allowing him to see what's going on when brother evanson got the um started the um the when brother coon started um um promoting brother evanson's church for um for the you know people to give for them to purchase the property let me tell you how it started the church building that they were in for 20 years um the owners for the church building they are the reformed church and they said to brother evanson hey they had made him alert you know months ago and says hey we're going to be selling this property because they had shut down their church and it was just his church using the building. They said, we're going to sell this property, but they didn't give him anything clear. And then just out of the blues, they went to him and says, listen, there's a Hindu temple that has cash money that wants to purchase this building ASAP. So you only have, I don't know if it was a month, 30 days to raise the money to purchase this. 
Now, Brother Evanson, the building that they're purchasing is about 1.4 something million. He didn't have um, the, the, his setup as far as how their giving was is not like ours. And so he could not go to a regular bank as we could. So he had to go to UPCI and UPCI needed a substantial amount of down payment. His down payment had to be like um, 700 and something thousand dollars. So he went ahead and sold his home, all of this stuff to get it going. And so he was in a totally different situation. But let me tell you what's the funny thing about that. When Brother Kuhn started the, 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 the whole communication out to the world on social media about Brother Evanson's church, here is what the communication was. A Hindu temple is trying to purchase one of our churches. The devil was the one that told the reformed church to tell Brother Evanson to steer him. If you don't come up with this money right now, in 30 days, a Hindu temple have cash money ready to purchase it right now, and we're going to sell it to them. Well, that was the launch message. Hindu temple trying to buy church from under a church. So they gave as much as they would try to be defiant and try to steer Brother Evanson, that's the devil, how he works, and try to intimidate the very words that he was using to intimidate was the very word that was used to raise the money. So we're in spiritual warfare. But God is in control. And he always make the devil look foolish. Every time the devil thinks he's got something worked out, every time he thinks he knows what's going on, the Lord makes him look stupid. And so we just have to trust in the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I can't predict how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. And so let's keep that in mind and let's not allow the devil to get any, make any ground upon you. Make it personal. You're not going to use me, devil. And remember what I've said. There's too many people that need to be saved that from generation to generation to come, that if the Lord tarries and we go on, we need a church that will continue to preach truth. We do. And so what we're doing is we're trying to leave a legacy. Most of us that are part of this church will not become millionaires to leave money. And as we know, what does money do but get people in trouble anyway? We don't need a legacy to be money. We need a legacy to be salvation, knowing who Jesus is, holiness and righteousness. That's the legacy we need to leave behind because money only gets family all messed up and going in the wrong direction. Because most of us don't know how to handle money anyway. So when we get too much of it, it just ruins us. So money is not it. It's salvation. It's Jesus. That's what we need to leave behind. Yeah, a little bit of cash that gets them off their feet a little is good. But that's all you want to do. You know, get them off their feet a little bit, make things a little easier. But we don't need to leave them money for them to just, you know, let it get them in trouble. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, let's go before the Lord and pray and ask him to bless our Bible study tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you tonight for allowing us to be gathered together in your name one more time. Oh, God, we humble ourselves before you and we look to you, the great God, the author and finisher of our faith. And, oh, God, you are our king. We are so thankful tonight 
that we're able to freely worship you, that we can praise you and magnify your name. Lord, we're thankful that you are so good to us, Lord, that you have been merciful, compassionate, and gracious, Lord. We're thankful, O oh God, that you have allowed us to be a part of your great big plan of reaching, Lord Jesus, and teaching, Lord Jesus, and modeling, O oh God, the lifestyle of Christ. Tonight, Lord Jesus, we ask that the Spirit of the Lord will guide us and lead us, that you will speak to us through your word and by your spirit, and that you will help us to receive what we need, Almighty God, that we will become doers, that we can apply the word of God in our mind, in our lifestyle, in our understanding, Lord. Help us tonight, Father. Lead us tonight, O great God. I pray that your presence will overshadow us and consume us. And, oh, God, help us tonight. Lift us tonight. Empower us tonight, if you will, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, show us the way. Oh, God, show us the way. Oh, God, give us favor tonight, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Allow us to hear what the Spirit is saying unto us, Almighty God. I pray your guidance, oh, God, in our service tonight. I pray for revelation. I pray and ask for the gifts of the Spirit to operate. I pray you will place me in the flow of your Spirit and that the hearts of your people will be open to your truth and oh God that we will respond to the word of God tonight. We give you the praise and the honor but there is none like you oh God and we thank you tonight in the name of Jesus Come on, let's love him. Let's thank him tonight and bless his name. The Lord is good. His mercy everlasting. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Amen. Clap your hands one more time unto the Lord. Amen. Welcome to Thursday Night Bible Study. You may be seated. We welcome those of you that are here tonight in the house. Those of you who have joined us via online, we welcome you and we're thankful that we can be together again. We are together again. Amen. God has been good to us. Amen. Keep Sister Henry in your prayers and uh, continue to pray for those that we know that are sick in their body that God will touch them and God will heal them and strengthen them. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, we're going to turn our Bibles. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. So, here is what we're going to be doing. Feel led of the Spirit to do this. We are going to travel through the book of Acts for the next few weeks on Thursday. We're going to be studying the book of Acts. We're going to go through uh, Acts pretty, uh, take our time and, and see what the early church was all about. Um, as you know, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in 
understanding the word of God to the point where we can apply it to our life. And I believe that if we will go to the book of Acts, we will understand who we are as the church. We will understand what we are as the church. We will understand what are some of the things that we should be doing as the church. We can look around and see what the book of Acts says about uh, some things that uh, we need to understand about the word of God. So we're going to go through it with, uh, I won't say fine tooth comb, but we're going to look into the scriptures in Acts for a little bit and um, see what the scripture says about the book of Acts. Um, the book of Acts is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, I don't know, I think maybe um, between the book of John and the book of Acts are my most favorite books. I love the Bible, don't get it twisted, uh, and I appreciate all the text in there, but I, if, if I probably will guess which two books I read the most, those are probably the two books I read the most. John and Acts are the two books in the Bible that I probably read the most, and so that must be because uh, <laughs> I appreciate and enjoy them quite a bit. So Acts chapter 1, uh, before I read the text, it says here, I got a slew of information here and notes that I want to share with you that I went through that I'm continuing. So I, all I'm doing is studying it ahead of time and bringing it before you and teaching it and allowing the Holy Ghost to direct me as I teach it. But I want to take my time and go through it. I don't know. Maybe we can call it a conversation and maybe that's what we need to do. So in the book of Acts, uh, we will understand it's the book of our salvation. The book of Acts is the book of our salvation. Uh, in order to understand salvation, that's where you go to find out about salvation. So when someone begins to discuss how to be saved, if they go any place other than the book of Acts to get the, the clear instructions on how to be saved, if, they're, if they go any place else other than Acts to apply the salvation message, they are wrong. And so we have to understand that's where you go to, to, to read the message of salvation in order to apply it. You can read other texts throughout the scripture and it will point you uh, in the direction of salvation. But actually implementing, actually applying the, the, the work that you have to apply, the words, I guess you should say, that you must obey in order to be saved, it's in the book of Acts. And so when anyone talks about salvation, that's where we need to go. In the book of Acts, it reveals the birth and the rapid growth of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ through the empowering, or should I say through the outpouring and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, right? So not only that you learn about your salvation, you see it clearly how to implement salvation in your life, but also as we go through the book of Acts, it reveals the birth and the rapid growth of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ through the outpouring and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Very important. The title for the book in most Bibles is the Acts of the Apostles. Really, it is the Acts of the Risen Christ 
through the Holy Spirit working in the church. All right. So as much as we understand that the apostles, uh, God used them mightily, we have to really understand that it's the work of the Holy Spirit working through man that got the job done and is still the same today. Amen. Jesus intended his church to be missionary minded. Somebody say missionary minded. Remember everything we're going to read in the book of Acts. We should be implementing them or should be living accordingly in this day and age. The book of Acts is not an old book that is outdated. The book of Acts is current, just like so many of the scriptures is current. And so if you're reading something in the book of Acts, it means you are reading what we are supposed to be doing as a church. And so the book of Acts, if you look through it as we will, it is missionary minded as evidenced by the Lord Jesus Christ commission recorded in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19, where he ordained that, uh, the Holy Spirit will be poured out and and that people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which would was the beginning of the church and that every nation will, uh, if they're going to be saved, will receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so these are prophecy that was told. We have the prophecy of Joel that talks about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And even in the same book of Acts, we see on the day of Pentecost, but These things happen first in the book of Acts. Now, something is very important that you want to remember about uh, the missionary minded church in the book of Acts. It took persecution before the Christians began to carry the gospel to other areas. So when churches are not involved in going out and being a witness and taking the gospel out. It's something that we've had a problem with from the very beginning of the church, from the inception of the church. We, we, we like to be comfortable. Uh, We, we, we like to just, you know, enjoy things for ourselves. And as long as it doesn't inconvenience me, I can share it with others. But if it's going to inconvenience me or, you know, start to infringe on my own time, then eh, it's not something I want to do. But we must realize that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that he established in the book of Acts is a missionary minded church. It's a church that is supposed to spread the gospel, take the gospel message unto the whole world. Since the vision of our church here at Christ centered church is to establish a 21st century apostolic church that is Christ-centered in lifestyle, principle, and power, then what better place to look than in the book of Acts to understand and mimic that church since it reveals the beginning of the original church. So if we at this church, which we say we are a Christ-centered people, We are focused on Christ. We are, uh, Christ is the essential uh, person or being to our salvation. And since we say that, and since 
we say that we are here to establish a 21st century. We know when the church was established in the book of Acts, but today we're trying to mimic that same church, but in the 21st century. And so we're trying to mimic the church in the book of Acts today as today is with technology that they didn't have. We're trying to use everything that we can to do exactly what they do, what they did, or to do even more than what they did. So we have to know what the book of Acts says about the church if we're going to do just like they did back then. Somebody say amen. The author of the book of Acts is the Holy Ghost. However, the Lord used Luke to write it. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. The author of the book of Acts is the Holy Ghost, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But he used Luke to write it. Luke wrote the book of Luke and Luke wrote Acts. But the author is the Holy Ghost. Luke gave an eyewitness account of many of the events he recorded in the book of Acts as a traveling companion of some of Paul's missionary journey. So Luke was on the same missionary journey with Paul when he traveled. And Paul was, you know, whatever he was doing for the Lord, however the Spirit was leading him, Luke was with him recording these things. And this is how we have the book of Acts and we can read from it and we can have it because Luke was recording what God was doing. Somebody say amen. And so that's how we have it in our hand. But what Luke was recording was what the Holy Ghost was telling him to record. So the Holy Ghost is the author of the book. Luke was used to physically write it. The book was addressed to Theophilus of whom we do not know much about. But it was also distributed throughout a broader audience of believers, which includes us. So uh, Luke started out by talking about the former treaties. Have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach? So Paul addressed Theophilus, but we still don't know who that guy really is and all that he was up to. But that's how it started out. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 1, the scripture says, The former trees have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. You see how clear that is? He said he gave instructions to the apostles. How? By the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is always the author. So when people say, who wrote the Bible? Well, God is the author. He used men to pen it. Never forget that who wrote the Bible? God is the author of the Bible, but he used man to write it. And if you begin to hesitate about that, then you need to know who Jesus is. Don't even go any further. If they say, well, man must have made a mistake. Well, what you're saying is God making a mistake. We got to learn how to respond to things like that. When, when you tell people Jesus Christ is the author of the word of God, the Bible, but he used man to write it. 
When they say, well, you know, man, man make mistakes. Sure, man make mistakes, but God don't. And if God is using man to write his word, there is no mistake. Now, man make mistakes on his own, but man can't make mistakes when God is working through him. Got it? And that's how we need to see it. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so those are the first three verses in the book of Acts. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out that we just looked at. It's a scripture said he showed himself. He showed himself alive. Right. And what does that mean? The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the great fact on which the truth of the gospel was to be established. Hence, the sacred writer so often referred to it and established it by so many arguments as the fact of his resurrection lay at the foundation of all that Luke was about to record in history. It was of importance that he should state clearly the sum of the evidence of it in the beginning of his work. So understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to everything that you will read and understand and learn and implement in your life. That is essential. You cannot overlook that. You cannot gloss over the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what Luke started out by letting us know that he showed himself alive by the infallible proofs, meaning that he was dead and then he was risen. That is very important that we understand that our Savior, the Almighty God who became man, he died physically so he can shed his blood for us. Because guess what? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And God that is invisible had no blood. And in order for God to be able to shed blood, he had to become a man. And so he died to shed his blood. But he rose. And that's important to understand. It was proof, or it was proven, I should say. It wasn't just by happenstance that the Lord, when he rose, he gathered together again with the disciples before he ascended. So the disciples that walked with him for three and a half years, the disciples who ate with him constantly, the disciples who saw him did miracles, signs and wonders, the disciples who knew that he was persecuted and, and was beaten and was killed, those disciples, when they saw him, when he rose from the grave and fellowship with him, they were the proof that we know that he rose from the grave. Were there others? Yes. But nobody knew Jesus like the disciples. So as much as everybody else can say, well, that's Jesus who died and rose. That's cool. And we appreciate it that you recognize. But nobody knew Jesus like the disciples. So when they validated that this is Jesus who fellowship with us, who we walked with, we slept with, we ate with. This is the same man that died and rose from the grave. That is proof that he rose from the grave. So he was able to 
show himself alive by infallible proof and after his passion. What does the scripture mean when it says after his passion? After he suffered, referring particularly to his death as the consummation of his suffering. The word passion with us commonly means excitement or agitation of mind such as love, hope, fear, anger. However, in this text, it means after he suffered, the word passion applies to the Savior. It denotes his last sufferings. Some say it, some say it this way, by thine agony and bloody sweat, by the cross and passion, the good Lord delivered us. So when Jesus went to the cross, that's his passion. So your passion might be, oh, I love him so much. Your passion might be, I can't stand that person. Your passion may be anger or fear. Whatever your passion is, that's your passion. But Jesus' passion was his suffering when he went to the cross. That's his passion. We talked about the infallible proofs of when he showed up. That those, the proof that he rose from the grave, they could not be disputed. The evidence was infallible that Jesus was alive after the resurrection. Jesus sat with his disciples. He broke bread with them and he fellowship with them, which means there were more than two or three witnesses of those who knew that confirmed he was alive. What the Bible says, for in the mouth of two or three witnesses should every word be established. And so Jesus know his word. So when he rose, he made sure more than two or three people saw him so it could be established that he was alive. So I might say, thank you, Jesus. Again, as we go through Acts, there are some things that are very important that I want to call key insights, key insights. These are important things that comes up in the book of Acts as we study it and we go through it. What is a key insight? The birth and foundation of the early church is recorded in the book of Acts. That is key insight that you understand. That's where the birth of the church took place. That, that, that's where the foundation of the church was established. Jesus told Peter in Acts chapter 16, upon this rock will I build my church. But that's a future tense. Upon this rock will I. It means it was not yet built. So it's in the book of Acts that it was established. His church was established. So it's important to understand that the church was birthed in the book of Acts. And that's the foundation of the church. We find the experience of the promise of the father. In Acts chapter 4, it talks about the promise of of the Father, which is talking about the pouring out of the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, the pouring out of the Holy Ghost. That was very important. That was key. That was that was key insight. That was that was a key thing to what will transpire as you read the book of Acts, because that had never been transpired. That had never happened any place in the Bible. Every place you read in the Bible until in the book of Acts, no matter how it sounded, 
it is only where you where you where you read that the Holy Spirit was involved moving on someone being in someone. It was all a temporary thing. It was all it was all influence or temporary, you know, move of God in somebody's heart or mind. But the only time it became a permanent thing where we received the infilling of the Holy Ghost was in the book of Acts. There's a scripture in one of the gospel that says, receive you the Holy Ghost and he breathed on them. They, that, was, that was talking about something that will happen in the future, not something that had happened right then and there. Because only when, here is the key that you know that it's only in the book of Acts. Remember, I told you that a will cannot be in effect until the person that wrote the will is dead and gone. You can't receive the Holy Ghost while the Holy Ghost is here. So wherever you read in the Bible and the people want to argue and say, oh, no, the Holy Ghost was poured out or people received the Holy Ghost and say, no, nah, the Holy Ghost was still here. He was walking. It wasn't until he ascended. Then he said that and I will send back the comforter. So as long as he was here, they didn't fast and they didn't receive the spirit because he was right here with them. But when he left them, they needed him still. So he sent back himself in the form of his spirit. Right. So so wherever you read the Holy Ghost, this and the Holy Ghost, that man was not filled or had the indwelling of the Holy Ghost in him or her until Jesus ascended to heaven and the day of Pentecost came. Mm -hmm. First, it was 120 people, which includes the disciples, that was infilled with the Holy Ghost. Then over 3,000 others received the Holy Ghost the same day. Within many days, more received the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the main thing you want to always remember that when we start to read when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, same thing. When we start to read it, the thing that accompanied the infilling of the Holy Ghost was the evidence of people speaking with tongues. So that's also something that gets disputed because people say, well, if you never spoke in tongues, does that mean you have the Holy Ghost? Or you don't have the Holy Ghost. My answer always is, I want whatever is happening in my life to be as it's written in the book. So if you want to be comfortable with saying you have the Holy Ghost, but you never spoke with tongues, that's on you. But me, if I see it in the Bible that they spoke with tongues, and the Bible tells me that Jesus is no respecter of persons, then I better speak with tongues too. And if I don't speak with tongues, I have a problem with Jesus. You don't have to have the problem. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm going to be spoiled. God, why Peter received the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues? Lord, why Cornelius received the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues? Why I can't speak with tongues? Are you trying to treat me different from Peter and Cornelius and all those other people? I need to speak with tongues too, God. So all you're saying when we talk about speaking with tongues, all we're really saying is that's what happened in the book, and I want it to happen to me too. Make sense? Peter's message to the assembled crowd, these are key insights about the book of Acts. Peter's message to the assembled crowd on the day of Pentecost outlined the application 
of the gospel message, and we'll get into that as we move forward. His message also made clear the instructions, application of how to be born again. How is someone born again? Here are the key things to being born again. Faith. Number one, remember what we said faith is. This is not popular with many Christians, but faith is to have the knowledge of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, that he's almighty God and man. When you have obtained the knowledge of who Jesus is, you have obtained faith. I know we have been always trained to think faith is just you believe the word. And remember what I've been telling you, that it's not sufficient because you can believe a lie. You can't know a lie. It's not possible to know a lie. So when you obtain the knowledge of who God is, you have obtained faith. And if you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 and verse 37, it makes clear that they needed faith. Now, Sister Patrice, I'm going to step, you know, ahead of myself a little and come back to the, you know, again. So give me Acts chapter 2, verse 36, and I'll show it to you that salvation requires faith, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's what is required for you to say, I have salvation. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Remember, I told you that word Lord means God and Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one. So when you see uh, that, that God had made the same Jesus that whom you have crucified, both God and man. That's revelation. That's that's knowledge of who Jesus is, God and man. So that's the faith knowledge being uh, taught there. Go to verse 37. Now, when they heard this, because they realized that they crucified God in the flesh. Now, when they heard this, this is a big part of our issue in the 21st century church. We don't respond. We don't respond. We sit back very conservative. We sit back so intellectual. We sit back, you know, so, so, you know, like we know this stuff, but we don't respond. It is a struggle. The Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. So it's important that you have knowledge. But then I say, God, we have so much knowledge that we are not responding. And I feel like the people way back in the day, they didn't have as much knowledge as we have. So they felt more obligated to respond, I guess. Like in their mind, like, man, I don't know this thing. All I know is I'm taking it as at face value. We're sitting back going deep. Well, you know, the Bible, you know, and we dissect and going deep and we don't respond. But the older generation, the ones that was before us, they took it at face value. Say, is that what it says? Okay, then let's do it. And I have proof right here. They, they, in verse 36, the, um, Peter told them that you crucified Almighty God, who is manifest in flesh. And when, and when Peter told them that, we didn't read a couple of verses down, and then we read them responding. No, the very next verse in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. 
and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Once they got called out, they didn't try to hide and act like it wasn't them. They said, oh, we got called out. We messed up. We just got red. And so we need to get it right. What shall we do? Peter told him what to do in verse 38. So he said in verse 38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, how? In the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For the remission of sins. And what? And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Faith repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost is what you have to do to have salvation. If you don't have all four, you don't have salvation. You need all four to say, I have salvation. Now, you could be in the process, not telling that you're not, but just understand that in order to complete the salvation process, Those four things must transpire in your life. You must know that Jesus Christ is almighty God in the flesh. You must repent of your sins. You must be baptized in Jesus' name, not in the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, but in the name of Jesus Christ. Your sins will be removed, and you must be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and with the evidence of speaking with tongues. That's the Bible. Now, again, Sometimes we feel like, you know, I've tried to make myself understand that if something is not working, it's never because it's God. I am not going to be an idiot or foolish enough to think that if God says something and I'm doing it and it's not working, it's because God must be off. And some of us are comfortable telling ourselves in our mind, because it's probably something we do not say out loud, we're comfortably in our minds thinking, well, something, no, God must not, no, uh, no, it's not God. Something I'm doing is wrong. Whether I'm not following the right way, I didn't get the right revelation, or there's some sin that's still in my life that needs to go, or it's just not God's time yet. But I'm never going to look at it like, you know, it's God, God, you know, you know, God don't know what he's talking about. No, 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 something is up with me. I'm cool with that. So, That's how we receive our salvation. We must have a proper response. These are all key insights to the book of Acts. We must be sure we have the proper response to the word of God. That's what the altar is for a lot of times in our 21st century traditional church today, uh, church. We don't realize that I shouldn't have to call you all up after a word go forward. You have to become practical in your response to the word of God. You're not responding to me. Who am I? I'm nothing for you to respond to. You're responding to God's word. God's word needs to be the authority in your life. If God's word is not the authority in your life, you have no authority in your life. And if you have no authority in your life, you will fail. You will crash and burn. God's word must be the authority in your life. And so every time God's word is preached to you, you should have a response to it. 
And the way you respond to it is by saying, God, in faith, I'm getting up out of my seat and I'm going towards the altar to let you know I want to hear from you. I need you to help me to process what I just heard. It's important. That's between you and God. That's not between you and your spouse. That's not between you and anybody else sitting in here. That's between you and God. And you can't worry about what anyone else thinks. It's between you and God. Listen, when we die, we stand before the Lord on our own. There is nobody standing with us when we die and have to stand before the Lord. We stand before the Lord by ourselves. Your pastor not with you. Your spouse not with you. Your kids not with you. Your mama not with you. Your papa not with you. Nobody is with you. Nobody is with you. It's you and the Lord, and you have to give an account to him as to why you obeyed or you didn't obey. Nobody else is there. So practice from now. So when you walk out of your seat and you come to the altar, practice that. Put in your mind, I'm walking and going before the Lord, and I can't even see the audience that is in in the building. I can't even see you. I can only see I'm walking towards the King of Kings. That is essential. Our response to the word of God is essential. And you have no idea what it will do for you spiritually. The Bible says faith without works is dead. And sometimes it's, it's not even because God is trying to give you a hard time. It's not because God can't move in the back as he could right here. But what it comes down to, when you say you believe something, you do something about it. And so he wants you to get up out of your seat and show that you believe it. And a lot of times he wants us to do it for ourselves, not for him, because God knows our heart. What God is saying is you better make sure you check yourself. What the Bible says, examine yourself. And sometimes you just have to get up out of your seat and walk to the altar and say, I have not been to the altar in a long time. i got to examine myself. Is this how I want to live my life? That not going to the altar and thinking that I'm okay? Got to examine ourselves. Nobody has been living for God so long that they don't need to go to the altar. I've lived long enough to know you could have been living for God 50 years. You got to still get it right until you're out of here. Nobody got a lock on it. So to think that we've been living for God a long time and I know how this thing go. Man, listen. You don't get a do-over when you die. We don't get a do-over when we die. Every time we come to the altar, is our do-over. Every time we come to a church service, it's our do-over. Every morning we wake up, it's our do-over. But the day we close our eyes permanently in this world, ain't no more do-over. If it ain't right then, it ain't never going to be right. So we got to hold on to that and realize it and not play around when we're in the house of God. We gotta make it to the altar. We gotta fall upon our knees and cry out to God. Forget about everybody else. And don't even come for the preacher to pray for you. Come because you want God to search your heart. Come because you want God to help you to apply His Word. That's why we need to come. Most of the New Testament churches were founded in the book of Acts. 
Examples of these are the first church which was founded at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The church at Caesarea in Acts chapter 10 and the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. At the founding of these churches, the people spoke with tongues as evidence that they received the Holy Ghost. The apostles and Mary, the mother of Jesus, received the Holy Ghost. And we'll get to that. If they needed the Holy Ghost, people of today also need the Holy Ghost. Again, God is no respecter of persons. God is not trying to, you know, remember what I said Sunday? You know who's um, um, Sunday's uh, message blessed? Sister Wood came up to me and she said to me, she said, Pastor, you know, losing my mother challenged me because, you know, you don't have your mother and, you know, you think about her all the time. And what comforted me is thinking that she's in heaven. That's what Sister Wood said to me Sunday. She said, what comfort me is, is, is just thinking about how she's in heaven and all of this stuff. And now you bring this thing up to say, nobody's in heaven. She said, now that challenged me, but it was so refreshing because you see how good God is. Because God is not letting nobody get to see heaven before the next person. We all get to heaven at the same time. When we die, we go into his presence. And so we're comforted in his presence. But we're not going to go to the pearly gates yet. Nobody gets to go to the pearly gates. We all go to the pearly gates at the same time. Isn't God good? And so she just was blessed by that. And I'm telling you, God is no respecter of person. If he didn't let my man David go in before me, God is good. He is no respecter of person. If he didn't let the apostle Paul go in before me and he waiting for me and all of us, then God is good. So that tells you he is no respecter of persons. Because I sure enough know, I don't care what I do in this life till he come, I'll never be able to be like the apostle Paul. But he ain't going to heaven before me. <laughs> we go at the same time, brother Paul. We're going at the same time. The dead in Christ will rise first. And so guess what? We're going to be rising up to meet him in the air, Apostle Paul. I might still call him Apostle Paul in heaven. He called me Wayne and I call him Apostle Paul. But guess what? We all get there the same time. And, and he ain't got no dibs on God more than I got dibs on God. And we all the same. God is no respect of persons, church. If you missed the point, that's the point. He is no respect of persons. And if, 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 if he says they had to have the Holy Ghost, we have to have the Holy Ghost. If they had to respond to the message of salvation and obey it, we have to respond to the message of salvation and obey it. We cannot do this thing. I was talking to um, Sister Nail, a first lady. I was talking to her the other day, and we were just talking. We can talk. Sister Nail can go. And we were just talking. <laughs> And we stand up outside going. <laughs> and we're just talking. But she said the same thing. Because, you know, she's been living for God for a long time. And she said what's on my heart, church. And I got to keep on saying it. She said, Brother Wayne, folks, they don't, they, they don't want to do nothing. They just think that they can do whatever they want. They go to heaven. Same thing I've been on. And I don't know if that's old talk. Some of y'all might lump it in as y'all just old. But what I told sir, First Lady was the same thing I told, I tell you guys all the time. If Jesus Christ 
Almighty God manifest in flesh. If he didn't come here and had and 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 and, and had a better roses and didn't have to do nothing, if he had to struggle, if he had to suffer, if he had to go through some stuff when he came, and he's the creator of everything, he's the Almighty. If he had to go through stuff, if he had to follow rules, if he had to go through guidelines, if he had to do all of that, why are we thinking that we're just going to do whatever we want? And we go to heaven. All we got to do is believe. Did we miss something? Is, is that an old thing like, you know, that we, we, we don't know because we old? Because I don't understand. Because all I know is if Jesus had to go through stuff, if he had to fight in the garden, if he had to pray all the time, if, if, if he had to go through the struggles of life, trust me, we are not going to heaven just like that. We're going to have to do some stuff, too. But for some reason, today's Christian just thinks that I don't have to sacrifice anything. That ain't necessary. Y'all crazy. Why y'all doing all of that? They just think that. They don't want any inconvenience. They don't think that it's, it, it just, it, it just, everything is just easy. I don't understand that. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out where it's coming from. And maybe when I have the meeting with the young adults next Wednesday, they'll tell me something that I've been missing. But I don't understand how somehow we think that living for God is just easy street and we don't have to do anything extra and life just needs to be easy. Where did that come from? Listen, let me tell you why it's not like that. (laughs) Here's Revelation for you. Here's Revelation Eve. We had it like that in the garden. We had it like that and we messed it up. This is why we got to deal with all this stuff. Adam was in the garden with Jesus chilling every day. No clothes, naked, but wasn't no big deal. (laughs) Talking to God every day, no clothes on, no big deal. Yeah, Lord, what's up? He just picking eight, didn't even need meat to sustain him. Everything was good. He was really better roses, like we like to say. He was living large. But then he sinned. And we know the curse that God said that was put on the woman, that was put on the man, and all the other stuff that go with it. So when we sin, we stop the easy street life. When we sin, God had to dress us. Oh, God, help me, Lord. Y'all, y'all missed that, huh? Ain't nobody caught that. Lord. Ethan, when we sin, God had to dress us because we couldn't dress ourselves. Because when we dress ourselves, he says, what's that, big leaves? Are you kidding me? You, you, you stink, man. You're dirty. You messed up. I got to clothe you all the way from head to toe. This is why the people of God try to dress completely and not be having stuff hanging out because of sin. Because of sin. When we sin, we could no longer walk around naked. Because we made stuff, we, we, we brought sin into our life. Now we got to follow these, these, these hard ways of living. And so now we're fussing. Why I got to wear this? Why don't I have to? Because we sinned. Because we messed up. We had it good. And we messed it up. So now we got to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be inconvenienced. Why I got to put this on? Why I got to put that on? Because we sinned in the garden. When we had it good, we didn't take advantage. We let the devil trick us. And so now we got to do all kind of stuff to get it together. That's why. So when people ask you why we got to do that, because of sin. Why we got to do this? Why we got Because of sin. Before sin, we didn't have to pray. You understand that? 
We had conversations with God in his presence before we sinned. After we sinned, we had to start praying. Why you pray? Because of sin. I wish we would just get it and not make ourselves be all messed up from all of this stuff. It's not hard to explain. It's just that we're so, we just want to stick to our own little thing here. All right, let me finish up here. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 4, now we move. I just, that, all of that that I just talked about was all introduction of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse number 3. Now we look at Acts chapter 1, verse number 4. Verse number 4 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them. You see that part? Jesus was assembled together with them in Acts chapter 1, verse number 4. So we know when he rose from the dead, he assembled himself. He connected. He, he, he went and chilled with the disciples for a little bit. Because the scripture says in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which said he, ye have heard of me. Watch this. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou restore, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? I don't know if I should go that far. Let me just not go that far, because that, that's a whole new thing I got to open up next week about why, what, 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 what were they asking about restoring the kingdom to Israel? But I will go back up and say where it says, that wait for the promise. Wait for the promise. When he says wait for the promise, they went to the upper room and did what? Thank you very much. They went to the upper room and prayed. So anytime you say you're waiting on God and you ain't praying, you ain't waiting on God. He promised them something. My God, I'm done. Lord, you, you I can't. I, I get so overwhelmed when I, because I'm preaching to you and God is speaking to me about these things. I'm like, oh, Lord. So he, he, he promised them something, but they still had to do something for it. Didn't he promise Israel the land that flowed with milk and honey? They had to do something for it. He promised them the gift of the Holy Ghost. They couldn't sit around and just wait. They had to pray to receive the... There is no way possible on this green earth or whatever kind of earth it is that we're going to think that whatever God has in store for us, we just sit around and do nothing and we don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to put no effort to it. God is going to plop it in our lap. Oh, no. Every time God tells us we're going to receive something, we're going to have to do something for it. We can't just receive from God and do nothing. And I believe there's a principle behind it because whatever you do something for you will treat it a different way than if you do nothing for it. We can't just give you stuff and you did nothing. We just don't give our children stuff and they did nothing. No, they got to do something in order for them to appreciate it. For us to appreciate the Holy Ghost, we got to pray. For us to appreciate whatever God has in store for us, we got to give sacrificially. Give ourselves, give our money, give our efforts. Whatever it is that God has said he has for us, you can't just sit around and say, come on, God. Don't work that way. 
his principles don't change. He still is the same. The Bible says he is God. He changed not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The principles that he had way from the beginning of man is the same principle he has today. When he says here, he's saying, I'm giving it to you, but you still need to be doing something. I'm not giving you it. Oh, here we go again. One talent. One talent, two talent, five talent. What did the one with the one talent do? Nothing. Well, what happened to his one talent? Because he did nothing. And the others, they did something. God help us here today that we keep thinking that we don't have to do nothing. We just sit around and God is good. God is love. God is merciful. He's compassionate. And we just can sit around and God will just take care of us. If we believe that, we're going to be lost. We are deceived. God don't just give us stuff. He needs us to get involved. And if we don't do something, if we don't get involved, if we don't give ourselves, if we don't pray, then the bottom line is what God has promised you, you won't get it. And you'll think, man, God, you made a mistake. What, God, I didn't hear from you? No, you heard from him. You just didn't do what he says to do. It's a lot of things that we're probably still waiting on God to give us, and we're wondering why we don't have it. Well, you got the answer tonight. You don't have it because you're just sitting and waiting. You're not involved. You're not giving effort. You're not giving yourself. So how can God trust you with what he has in store for you? Because if he give it to you, you're going to squander it. You're going to waste it because you're just sitting around and you don't want to do anything. Oh, God, help us tonight. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I worship you, I worship you. Oh, God, I will work while it's yet day. For the night cometh where no man can work. And God, if you allow us to be in the day, we will work while it is yet day. We will serve you while it is yet day. We will live for you while it is yet day. For the night is coming. The night is coming. And no man can work when the night comes. Oh God, we give ourselves to you. Oh God, we give ourselves to you. Whatever you need, Lord, we will worship you. Whatever you need, Lord, we will pray and seek your kingdom. Whatever you need, Lord, we will give ourselves to you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, somebody reach out to the Lord tonight. Somebody call on his name right now. Somebody reach out to the Lord right now. Do something. Because if you do nothing, you will get nothing. But if you do something, God will give something to you. His promises are yea and amen. But we must do something. You're not earning anything. He just needs you to do something. It's good for us to do something and practice. Oh, serving the Lord. Practice sacrificing unto the Lord. Somebody do something. Do something. Reach out to the Lord. Call on his name. Cry out to him. Do something. Give yourself. But just don't sit around and do nothing. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their 
presence. While you're waiting, you pray. While you're waiting, you fast. While you're waiting, you serve. While you're waiting, worship. While you're waiting, praise. While you're waiting, give yourself unto the Lord. Oh, God, we wait upon you. We wait upon you, Lord God, that you may renew our strength. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Oh, glory be to God. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We praise your name. Oh, God, help us tonight. Let your glory, Lord God, overshadow us, Lord. We call upon your name. Oh, we say yes to your will. Lord. Yes to your will, Lord. Yes to your will, Lord. Yes to your will, Almighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. How great is our God. How great is our God. How great is our God. There is none like you. There is none like you, Almighty God. There is none like you. There is none like you, Jesus. There is none like you. Quicken us by your spirit, Lord. Quicken us by your spirit, Lord God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, we thank you tonight, Lord. We bless your name, Lord God. Quicken us by your spirit, almighty God. Remove as it is scales from our eyes that we can see as you will have us to see, Lord God. Let darkness be removed from us and let the glorious gospel of the light of Christ shine bright in our heart, Lord God. In the name of Jesus Christ, oh God, I pray that our faith will not fail us, Lord God. Oh, for you said faith without works is dead, Lord God. If you're no works, Lord God. We have rejected faith, Almighty God. Lord, help us that we will respond in faith, Lord Jesus. Oh, glory, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Jesus, I thank you today. Jesus, I bless your name. Jesus, there is none like you. There is none like you. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I worship you. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you. For you are my God. You are my King. (laughs) Oh, somebody worship the Lord tonight. Thank him tonight. Love him tonight. Bless his name. The Lord is good. His mercy everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. Oh, Lord, you are our God. You are our God. You are our God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let's stand.
Let's stand to our feet. God is good. God is speaking, church. God is speaking. Will we listen and hear the Lord? Will we listen and respond to the word of God? God is speaking. God is speaking. He's speaking. He's speaking to hearts and minds all over. He's speaking to people. He's speaking to you. Will you hear him? I hear the voice of the Lord speaking in the heart of his people. God is speaking. 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 He is here and he's waking up. Oh, the stirring of the Holy Ghost will wake us up. There's an awakening that God wants to do with you. Will you respond or will you reject? God is speaking. God is speaking. Oh, God is speaking to people that's not even here tonight. There are people right now in places that is not even remotely close to where God wants them to be. But God is speaking to people's hearts even now. There are people in their homes right now that God is speaking to them. He's speaking to them. He's trying to knock on their doors. He's knocking on the heart of their door. He's giving instructions. He's calling them. He's sending them, but will they hear the voice of God? Will they hear, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, that your people will not be so far removed from your will, from your purpose, that they will not respond to the word of God, but I pray that they will hear, respond, and enter into the house of God, and enter back into right relationship with you. I pray that they will hear, and they will respond. I pray that they will be delivered. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, the Holy Ghost is moving in the heart of the people of God. God said if you will move, he will do a miracle in your life. If you will obey, he will do a miracle in your life. Your deliverance will come if you move. Your deliverance will come if you move. But you can't stay where you are. You can't keep doing what you've always done. God wants to deliver you, but you got to move. You got to hear. You got to obey. You got to respond. God wants to move in your life. Oh, Lord, we bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Oh, you're so great. You're so wonderful. You're so merciful. There is none like you. The glory of the Lord. Oh, Lord, we want to be in your presence. Let your glory fill this house. Let your glory move in this church. Let your power be demonstrated in the midst of your people like we've never seen. You said signs and wonders shall follow them that believe. And oh God, we believe. And oh God, we believe. Demonstrate, Lord God. Let the signs and wonders and demonstration of your power be revealed in your church, among your people, in our life, in our heart. Let it be so, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. That's right. That's right. Worship him. Cry out to him. Bless his name. Give God the honor. Give God all the praise. For he is your God, your king. He will work it out. God 
will work it out. God will work it out. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God is working it out, church. If you will respond to his word, he will work it out. He will work it out. He will work it out in the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Somebody needs to just go ahead and tell him they love him. Let him know how much you love him. Oh, he said, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey me. And you will see the glory of the Lord in your life. The glory of the Lord will be in your life. In the name of Jesus. That's it. That's it. That's it. Love on him tonight. Love on the Lord tonight. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 Oh, yes, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus.
Don't forget this where you go. Give to the building fund. Give one to the building fund. God bless you, church. I love you. Bring somebody to church Sunday. Invite somebody to church Sunday. Come Saturday for our prayer breakfast. God bless you in Jesus' name. Here's our choice tonight, Lord.